Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me now on the Fox Sports app. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. Now, as you, uh, my regular listeners know, I don't generally have guests. They're annoying. They're troublesome. You got to go to the all the just the extra work to get them scheduled and then half the time they don't show up. And so I just decided uh, that uh, I'm, I'm going to do monologues. But I am making an exception for my man, Burton Chala. And why I'm making that exception, I have no idea other than he does have a fascinating story to tell about the Vince Carter documentary that uh, I recently appeared in. So with no further ado. I would introduce you and I would give them a bio. But as you know, from having gone out to dinner with me and my my son, when he asked what 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 does he do, meaning you, Burton, there wasn't a real defined answer. And I don't know that there still is. So uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Rick, I like being mysterious. Yes, I know. I like it. I I think it's cool. But, you know, you have an idea of what I do and all the content I create. So oh, I know uh, you do a lot. I just don't, I don't just don't know how to describe it. Right, 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 right. Like what, what's your uh, elevator? If you were giving a, a, an elevator pitch to someone to say, this is what I do. What is it? I now say, and this evolved over the last couple of years. I now say I, I create content around athletes, primarily NBA players and monetize it through relationships with brands and publishers. That's what okay. I now say. Now, okay. having said that, you and you know, more than anyone and i want to talk about vince but like i also do a couple of other things like i'm pretty good at like uh brokering chinese sneaker deals i'm pretty good at like if pr is necessary i do some pr right like i i i say that that would be my elevator pitch but you know people that really know me or when i'm really really like um trying to find a solution for maybe a new client you know I'm a jack of many, many trades. Yeah, probably not a master of any, but a jack of many. There is this. There's this strata uh, <laughs> within the NBA, in particular, sports in general, that is uh, inhabited by people like Burton. Uh, Worldwide West is probably the greatest example I can think of of someone who is knows a lot in terms of what's going on, knows a lot of people, is very connected. But I dare say, if you ever asked anybody outside of uh, uh, West now being hired by the New York Knicks, you know, in the, pro- in the previous 20 years, if you ever asked anybody, like, what does West do? They would be as challenged to answer that as 
I'm challenged to answer exactly what. Yes, what I mean, they, everyone always goes with he's a connector, right? Like, yeah, right. So, you know, and, and I, I used to get teased by a couple of people like you're a bridge builder. Like I'd introduce this person to that person. Right. So, um, but that's not how you make money. Rick. Like it, it's beyond just <laughs> connecting, right? Like, you know, no, but there is value it. in that. Oh, there's tons of value. And I'm willing to connect the right people together. Yeah. Um, so you have to speak anyway. into, you have to speak in the microphone, Burton. You just went, you went dark on us there for a sec. For a hot oh, sec. Sorry. Yeah, I think I put my hand over it. Is this better? Yes. Cool. Sorry. All right. Anyway. So, you have been doing, you've been on like kind of the podcast tour. This isn't the only one you've done. And I'm not going to take that personally, but <laughs> um, there have been some, some things that have come up on some of the other podcasts. Is there anything that you want to correct from previous appearances, such as the, the significance of you getting fired? Do you want to like, do you want to reset that in any way or is I, that? I don't, I don't want to reset that. <laughs> you don't even want to talk about that. It. I don't want to reset it. Uh, God, I got, I got, I'm getting killed on stuff like that, but yes, I've, I've been fired before. It's, it's, it's actually happened. Um, What's that like? Which, Cause I, that's never happened to me. Like I've left places or I haven't completed, like I, like we haven't been able to agree on an extension or whatever, but I've never right. been like, uh you're fired pack up your stuff and get out what's that like uh it's it's not shocking it's more like it's it's more like you're down on yourself right Mm -hmm. because as much as you want to defend it or this is a bad boss and you know they set me up or whatever and all of those things they're they're bad firings this was not a bad firing Uh, i was fired for it was not a good fit not cause it was more like this is not working right. and and more culturally than anything else. And, and to be honest, and I talk about it, to be honest, it was good. Jeff Schwartz at Excel fired me and it was a good he made the right decision. I was not culturally fitting and I wasn't feeling like I fit. It's a lot like I mean, here's a good transition into basketball. It's a lot like Ben Simmons, like Ben Simmons is a very capable and good basketball player. Right. Like yeah. wherever you rank him. He's a very good basketball yes, player. Yes, for is, sure. You know, multi all-star basketball player, right? Probably he, the second best. If he's on, if he's your second best player, you can win the championship, right? Like he's like one of that caliber. I don't know if I go that far, but I like going with it, Rick. But I would yeah, say def- definitively, he's in the top half of players in the league, and I might say the top third players in the league. So yeah, I wouldn't go necessarily third. second best, third best. Yeah, without question. I think he can be no, part of the championship quick, team. Top, it's, he's better than top third. Top third of the league is 150 players. He's not ranked 150. In the I didn't NBA. say he was 150. Like, I think he's just in that mix. Right. I think he's in the top 10% of the league, I would argue. So, anyways, um, wherever you put Ben Simmons, second best player, third best player, the point is it's just not working. Right, right in Philadelphia. and hasn't. Exactly. But here's the thing, it, and it hasn't worked, Burton. That that that's the problem that I have with. In one respect, I appreciate that Daryl Morey just recently said, "Look, we're we're going to wait until we make a deal that we like. We're not going to be forced into anything." There's a part of me that appreciates that, but there's another part of me that says, "You're in this predicament." And I, same with Doc Rivers, same with Joel Embiid. You guys are all in this predicament. Because you refused to see what was clear for years, which was this combination between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons 
was not going to work. Before the personalities ever came apart, before you ever got to the point where the disappointment rose to where now we're pointing fingers, you needed to take an honest look at it and say, you're trying to make two round pegs fit into square holes. Do you think it's, I mean, I don't disagree. I don't fully disagree with you. I think the personalities played a bigger role than you're letting on. Um, but no, I'm not the, saying they didn't, but, but from a basketball standpoint, we already knew that they did. So from so, a basketball standpoint, what's the argument? The argument is that like Ben doesn't shoot. The, the argument is that for me, Ben at best is a point forward. Ben has to play like we now see Giannis Antetokounmpo playing, which is below the free throw line. If I can yeah. put him in position where he's a step or two away from the basket when he catches it, now all of his passing ability, now he's a dual threat. He can score or he can set somebody up. But get, now if you're going to do that, now you have to block. play Joel out at the three-point line. I don't want to yeah. do that. Like yeah, yeah, now yeah. I'm uh, now I'm compromising what Joel is capable of being. Right, and it works in Milwaukee cuz Brooke Lopez on the three-point line makes sense. Whereas yes. Joel Embiid is the best post player in the NBA. So, yes. Right, yes. right. Okay. Yes. I, 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 I agree with that, but I definitely think the personalities mattered and I think it accelerated this thing. Like, And it's pecking order. Like Brooke at this point in his career, he's okay being the complimentary guy. Right. Joel and Ben are still trying to prove that. Like they're still trying to establish who they are and what they are. I think Ben needs to play with guys that can fill it up so he can just do the thing he wants to do, which is rebound, play defense and pass. Right. Like I honestly think he can be like a, a bigger Jason kid if he had the right personnel around him and also mentality. He doesn't have the mentality. Jason's mentality was different. Like go get that defense right. rebound, start the break. Right. The mentality is probably the biggest piece that's missing from Ben Simmons. I was told through the grapevine and, you know, I had many sources that, a, a big part of why Ben Simmons never participates in the Australian national team is because the main captain, Joe Ingles, doesn't want him on the team because he doesn't work hard, doesn't have the mentality. Ben Simmons physically is better than any player on the Australian national team. And he's not on it because the captain's like, no, nah, you're going to make us worse. This goes back to fit yeah. culture, right? Yeah. So, um, well, hey, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of six, eight guys with 40 inch verts on the streets. There's a lot of guys with tremendous athleticism, tremendous size who can't play. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, Taco Fall, like you look at that, people are like enthralled with the size and everything. But he can't play. You can't play him in the NBA. People will take him apart. And the difference is, the game has changed. Like you compared him to Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd realized the game had changed and he developed a three-point shot. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. I mean, it, it, it goes back to he's got to learn every guy in the league. Like that, that, that's, that's the greatest league. mystery to me is well, look, I, I'm watching I'm watching Lonzo Ball shoot the ball, right? His stroke is completely different. Yes. Than it was two years ago. Completely yeah. different. Shout out to Fred Vincent, who was Instrumental in making that happen. I mean, shout out to Lonzo. Shout out to Lonzo Ball for for for, for yeah. having the the dis- discipline to change it. Yep. Why Ben has not even added like an eighteen foot jumper is a complete 
no one has been able to answer that. If I was able to sit down with Ben one-on-one privately, that would be my, or anybody who could inform me on that. Yeah. That's what I'm dying to know because that's only, that's a benefit for you. And like you had year, you've had years to do it. It's like, there's a resolve almost not to do it. Like I'm not going to do this. It just seems so obstinate and self-inflicted, a self-inflicted wound. Where do you think he ends up? I don't know at this point. I, I really don't. Um, I, I would expect that it's a, like a Sacramento or a Minnesota or it's a, yeah, it's a team that will look at him and he can look at it and say, I'm rebuilding and you can get the star player from that particular team, a buddy healed or whatever that makes Philadelphia, that allows Philadelphia to say, Hey, we got the star player we were after, even though it's not a bonafide, it's not a Bradley Beal. It's not a Damian Lillard, right? There is a distinction, but for the casual sports fan or casual NBA fan, they'll look at it and go, Hey, they, yeah, they got, they got the shooter they wanted. I honestly think if you get healed, like Bagley wants out, right? He wants out of Sacramento. So if you do Bagley and healed, and some sort of player. I'm not mad at that trade. Like, I would die. And we can get to more in a second. And maybe I think about it. If you gave me Bagley healed and the kid that they picked in the first round, Davion Mitchell, for Ben Simmons and Maxi, I would do that deal. Oh, yeah, I would too. But I don't, I'm not giving up. I don't know that I'm giving up Davion Mitchell. For Ben Simmons, two-time All-Star? Well, 25 years old? You're giving up Buddy Heal, Davion Mitchell, and who? And Bagley, who doesn't want to be there. They don't want him there anyways. Yeah. So there's I not suppose. a high value on Bagley, right? Like, he's the easiest But I mean, guy keep in mind. So you have what you have in Davion Mitchell. You have it on a rookie contract. Yeah, but I'll give you Maxie too, right? So Maxie and Simmons. So Maxie's on a rookie contract. Yeah, we could talk. We could talk. As long as I'm not giving up Halliburton, I'm okay. Right. So, so, so look, look at that trade. I would do that trade. Then the other trades, let me ask you this one, and I have differing opinions from other people in, that cover the league. Would you do D'Angelo Russell, Josh Okogie, and McDaniels? <laughs> and, and, and a pick, and a pick. If I'm Minnesota? From Minnesota for Ben Simmons and Maxie. Yeah, but I wouldn't do that if I was Philadelphia. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? Because I don't, I don't think D'Angelo fits that profile. So to me, fits what profile? All star? Yes. All star go to scorer on a winning team. I completely agree with you that he doesn't fit that profile. I always thought he was overrated and couldn't believe he made an all star team. But I would argue he fits better with Joel as a shooter because he shoots threes. And I would argue what you're getting, Josh Akogi is maybe the best defender in the NBA. He just doesn't get love because. He doesn't, you know, he's not a scorer. And you get a young McDaniels player. I would argue the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. I would argue, like, whatever that saying is. Like, I, I just think Maury, and let me get into Maury's right now. Like, I just think Maury has to get superstar back. Otherwise, he doesn't want to do this. Like, right. getting, getting the deal, the Sacramento offer I just made, I think that's a great deal. I honestly, they should have taken if, Mal- if Malcolm Brogdon was actually available to them over the offseason, they should have made that trade. I like, agree. but Malcolm Brogdon is not sexy, right? Like, Malcolm Brogdon is not, no, he's just good. Killer. He's very good and he fits with Joel Embiid. Yep. I mean, a couple of years ago, he was 50, 40, 90. 
if Brogdon's healthy, he's a very, very, very good point guard and a Agreed. very good closer and fits really well with the beat. So I, I but I think Maury's on this whatever journey he's on, he's always got to be the smartest guy in the room. And I think he's messing. I honestly blame him more than anyone. Yeah, I can't I can't disagree with that. I want to get to the doc. I want yes, to get to the Vince Carter story because that's really why I brought you on. And I may even uh, just just delete everything we talked about to this point. <laughs> Who wants to hear about my opinion in Philly? Yeah. Or, you know, conversations that I think everybody in the world has had for the last three, right. weeks. three weeks. The Vince stock almost didn't happen. Yeah. Almost didn't happen a few times. Um, why? Between. <sighs> Getting Vince was hard in the beginning because, you know, I don't have a personal relationship with him or a history where he's just going to answer every call. And it took some convincing. And really, it was his mom who convinced him. He gave me the answers to the test. You know, he told me, go talk to my mom. Uh And then when I saw him in his eye, when when he said that, I realized, okay, she might be calling the shots here. Yeah. It's not that she was calling the shots, but he's so close to his mom. And that's his me convincing his mom is what convinced him to do it. And he, you know, he his mom used the word legacy, and that's how we got to the title, Vince Carter Legacy, free on Crackle TV. I gotta do the promo, Rick. Sure. Um hey, I'm in it, so I'm happy for you to promote it. <laughs> you're I, all over Rick, you're all over it. You're all over the trailer, like. I was I was presence. I was stunned to watch it and to see that I was in it as much as I was because as I've done the, many of these things before, uh, you know, you spend an hour and then there's like two clips, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do do you remember doing the interview? It was also oh, yeah, 2020. it was in Chicago. It was a long time. Yeah. yeah, it was a long yeah. time ago, though, right? Like yeah. that. So that's the other part of the movie. Like the movie takes place during COVID. And right. that was the the other reason this thing almost didn't get finished. Like, well, but there's a great story about when you were either supposed to meet with him or you were supposed to get together. The day, what happened that day that that the, blew yeah, the first that blew yeah, it up. Yeah. Um, well, so I, you know, hard to get him, and we had we finally got him on board when his mom convinced him. And then the first day of shooting was his birthday, which is January 26th, Vince's birthday. But it's also the day Kobe died. And, you know. The day, not just the anniversary date. Like the, the day, day yeah. that the helicopter went down was the day you were that, supposed to shoot. Yeah, that yeah that morning. Well, we didn't know the helicopter was going to go down, obviously. We flew in the morning and we landed in Atlanta to the news that Kobe had died. Because um, it was this early Sunday morning, if you remember. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, obviously we wanted to. Um, be respectful and we were all feeling it Kobe meant a lot to the basketball community right I mean he he's he's a superhero uh, and and for a lot of people on Mount Rushmore and you know you and I have had this conversation so um, and and, for, and from Vince's perspective obviously they played against each other they're same age that's his contemporary mm-hmm. Kobe was his contemporary right and for a long time Kobe Vince McGrady, I always argue Paul Pierce, and I'm sure you're going to argue against that. But like, those were the guys, 
right? Those were the guys that were contemporaries against each other. The same way Durant, Giannis, and Kawhi are LeBron's contemporaries, right? right. So, and, and then even further, and, and when we really dove into it while we were making the movie, and we obviously, you know, committed some time to Kobe, like it, we, we, Vince said, I played on an AAU team with him when I was like 15 and he was like 14 or something like that. Um, so they've known each other forever. And this mm-hmm. is back in the day when, you know, kids didn't team up on AAU teams. Right. They just happened to play on a team together. Uh, so there's like that friendship there. And, you know, that obviously mattered. So then that happened and we took some time off. I don't remember if we shut down for a whole week or if it was like three or four days. I don't remember. We just, okay. we decided, you know, we obviously weren't going to shoot the day we were supposed to. And then we took a couple of days, we took a beat and just kind of chilled and told Vince, you know, whenever you're ready, we're ready. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a couple of months, COVID hits, right. And the world's shut down. And, you know, from our perspective, you know, if you can think back to March, 2020, I think we're all like, this will be over in two months, right? Or this will be over over the summer. And we all know it wasn't. Yeah. And then each state, you know, to, to layer more, each state has different rules when it comes to COVID and production and all this stuff. And we had to follow the rules. And then more, what really stopped us was the NBA set rules, right? They were saying NBA players and personnel, which includes owners, could could only do X, Y, and Z. The only way you could do it, you can't do an interview unless it's you know approved and it has to be this and all that. We had Mark Cuban slated to do the movie, and he couldn't do it because the <laughs> NBA wouldn't let him because this was not an NBA project. It wasn't necessary to do it. Like the only way, and and then we had certain production guidelines, like to do a remote shoot, like Mark basically setting the camera up for himself. My head of production was like, "We're not doing it that way. We're not shooting it that way." Yeah. Um, all of this stuff. And, and, and there's more, Rick, that some of it I, I'll keep to myself. One thing I'll tell you too, Kobe agreed to do the film. Like I talked to Kobe's people the first week of January and he, they were in, they were in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of turmoil behind the scenes, but I will say again, you know, promo my team. Well, first Vince was great. Vince was, gave us more time than he had to. Um, my production team, shout out to Lineage Digital, Blake, Lori, Katie, my boss, Anthony, all stars. Um, okay, this isn't the and, Emmys, okay? Yeah, I know, right? I'd like to, and then Crackle, I, I, I had good part. Look, Rick, we talked about Ben Simmons, right? Getting it back to basketball a little bit, like you have to have good teammates, right? Like, you, yeah. you don't win, you don't win the championship with bad teammates, like, yeah. no, you know, any, yeah. any process like that. By the way, I did a a cover story on Vince for ESPN, the magazine, probably 15 years ago. Okay. Same process in terms of mom was very influential on anything that he did. Yep. And, uh, and I went to China with him, which was really uh, an extraordinary experience because it was me, him, his Nike crew. It was a Nike tour. Right. Was it, is this the is this the peak of insanity? This is peak of insanity. Okay. And I think we had he was like on the cover in a like a a, a, a silver spacesuit or something like that. And uh, I mean our, our our covers were pretty were pretty creative. Um, but the my goal was so they had they had the they had the van that had 
Vince, his uh, his security peanut, uh, Mark Eversley, I believe, was with Nike at the time, and uh, a Raptors trainer, and I forgive me for forgetting his name. Uh, and I was in the second van, and my whole goal was I got to get in the first van. <laughs> and by I think it was day two or three, I got the invitation to ride. Oh, it was in. like a signed seating. It wasn't like whenever you get down from the hotel, it was a signed seating. No, it was like it was it was like it was like uh, buses for teams. Okay, got it. You have the player bus, and then you have all the rest of personnel on the second bus. Right, right, Friends, right. family, personnel, trainer, right, like right. everybody else is on the second bus. I needed to get on the first bus. Yeah, and. And it was hilarious because it was like, it was, it, it was first bus shenanigans. Right, like right, we're right. playing, we're playing punch buggy or we're it's, it's um, you know, who's the first person to see a cat, a cat or a bird. Like we were in Beijing. Like you saw no animals anywhere as you were driving down the street. It was kind of spooky, right? Yep. Yep. Just all kinds of weird, goofy stuff right. going on uh in the in in the first bus but it gave me a, a, a great appreciation for just how no, like and this is why i was excited to do the <laughs> the doc because like vince vince is a fascinating character because he's such a phenomenal phenomenal athlete and rose to such heights because of that and was such a performer and was so gifted in so many different ways and yet there's a real normalcy about him as a person. Like it's just, he's. Yeah. He's very normal. He's just, he's very level headed and balanced in his view of life, which I think in some ways may have undercut his greatness as a player because Kobe was so like single minded. Yep. It had such a zeal for I'm a just cutthroat. Jason Kidd, the same way. Like yeah. Vince was not that. Vince. Do you think Vince Tim was, Duncan was that? What's that? Do you think Tim Duncan was that? I think there was a certain degree of that with Tim. Yes, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Okay. There's there's okay. there's just guys that they that have that great white shark mentality. Yeah, puts them over the edge, and and then there are guys that that don't have that. And they may not raise rise to the same heights as the great white sharks as basketball players. But I think that they're also, they, their, their lives, they're more comfortable in their own skin with and without the game. Yeah. Right. They're, and they're, I think that I honestly, I think Vince got there. I think he got there at the end of his career where he was in terms like, of what having the killer mentality of- or whatever. No, no, in terms of like, I'm ready to walk away and, you know, I have, I, there are other things I can pursue, right? I think you're right. I think he was just hyper talented, but didn't have what, you know, the quote unquote Mamba mentality, right? Like, Dude, I, but I, I think he always had that. I, I mean, I think he always saw, he had a perspective on the game that I would say was always healthy. Yeah. Like, and I think that was born of right. how he was raised. Yeah. Because yeah. normally a guy with, his kind of natural ability. I mean, I will never forget being in China and we're in this, I don't know what space it was. It was like a warehouse. It's like they created a court uh, just to put on this exhibition. And 
I remember the guys with whether Peanut or Mark or whoever it was. It was like they were like, I think he's going to try the 720. Like he was going to try to do a full double spin dunk. Now he hasn't been playing. He hasn't yeah. warmed up. I think he did like a quad stretch right before, yeah. just like the the typical. And he was just, and I say it in the in the doc, like he would just try to imagine what he wanted to do physically, and then he would go do it, which yeah. is the true like genius Picasso level artistry yeah. of Vince Carter. Yeah. And here he's doing it in China, like time change. Like we're all still half asleep. We're still getting adjusted. He hasn't warmed up at all. And he's about to do this physical and he did it. He did it. There was, I don't know that there's any video out there, but we just like all looked at each other, like just, you know, mouths dropping open. And, and, and it not only he didn't like, you know, do the Superman and, and you know, primal scream. He kind of just did it. And it was like, okay, I did, like, yeah, I pulled that off. And it, I mean, yeah. it was just, that so was casual. him. His athleticism was casual, casual, right? He was just so casual the way he played. And it, he was so natural. So natural. Yeah. That's probably a better way to put it. What's your, you think he's the greatest in-game dunker of all time? Well, the Frederick Weiss dunk kind of puts him in that special plateau and in-game dunker. Yeah. I, well, I would say, I don't know. Dominique is Dominique two-footed. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. he was, he was nasty. He was, you know, he, did I ever tell you like uh, my favorite player growing up was Dominique Wilkins because I grew up in New York. So you get the local teams, right? Mm-hmm. You get the Knicks and you get the Nets. But when I was growing up in the 80s TBS. and 90s, TBS, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the Hawks were a national team to me. Yeah. Like, I watched more Hawk games than I watched Nick games. And I don't know if it was just by coincidence. I used to like, God, what a, like, I, the reason I got into the Hawks, and we don't have to spend too much time on this, I really like wrestling. Like, I love WWF. So I was like determined to learn everything about WCW. Like, before my brother, like, I'm going to have all this information about Ric Flair and Sting. And so I used to watch WCW. But before WCW would start, like, because it would start at like, you know, 9 30 on a Saturday. I, you, you got to watch the Hawks or like during the summertime, you'd watch the Braves. So mm-hmm. I ended up becoming a Hawks and Braves fan. Um, and Hawks never overtook the Knicks. The Braves overtook the Mets. But like Mookie Blaylock, Craig Elo, Dom, Dominique, Kevin Willis, John Conkak, like Adam Keefe, the, mm-hmm. the Plastic Man. Like, you know, I could still name the team right now. Yeah. Um, so – yeah, Dominique was really good. I, so I would vote Vince, but it's close. It's close. So we, we've we've gone much longer than I normally go. That's why yeah. I don't have guests because we just blather on. But right, cut it. I yeah, I will. I will. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> uh, that said, your takeaway from doing the Vince documentary, like what's what's the most lasting thing that you take away? from that experience, either what you learned about him or the process of doing it that you walk away. And this is what changed me. This is what changed me, or this is what I took away from doing that project. Uh, Professionally. I would say that the big takeaway for me is that there's money in this space and opportunity. And I want to do more of them. 
Tactically, I would say really key component of making a movie or a follow doc or content pre-production. Like you got to have the right producer and director and you have to have this thing mapped out because you cannot control what people will say, do, or what happens. I can't control if a helicopter crashes or if a, we have a global pandemic not seen for a hundred years. Um, so I would say pre-production would be the first thing um, from a tactical standpoint. And then just from a personal standpoint, like I said, I want to do more of this. I, I really like the storytelling part of it. Fair enough. Burton, thanks for joining me. It took Always us good. it took us a little <laughs> bit of time, but we right. managed to get it done. Cool. I do have to ask, why are you wearing an Expos hat to do this? I just think it's I, you know, I just think it's a cool hat. I actually want to do a documentary about lost fandoms. Like oh, that's very good. Movies. Yeah, and like that '94 team that could have won a World Series. I actually want to do it. I just think it's a cool hat. But yes, that's one day maybe. Okay. All right. Cool. Rick, appreciate you. Thank you. You got it. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. I know that conversation may have come at an odd time with the NBA's 75, list of 75 coming out. I do plan to write about that on the Fox Sports app or foxsports.com. Please go look for that. That'll be appearing in the next 24 to 48 hours and then there's of course the great Warriors Clippers matchup and what we saw from the Hawks and the Mavericks all of that we will get to at some point coming up it is this beginning of the season so there is still plenty of time to address all of that but in the meantime as always thanks for listening Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.